Welcome to the Data Stack Show. Each week, we explore the world of data by talking to the people shaping its future. You'll learn about new data technology and trends and how data teams and processes are run at top companies. The Data Stack Show is brought to you by Rudderstack, the CDP for developers. You can learn more at rudderstack.com. We have a really exciting episode coming up, and what's most exciting is we're going to live stream it. The topic is the modern data stack, and we're going to talk about what that means. It's December 15th, and you'll want to register for the live stream. Now, Costas, it's really exciting because we have some amazing leaders from some amazing companies. So tell us who's going to be there. Yeah, amazing leaders and also an amazing topic. I think we have mentioned the modern data stack so many times on this show. I think it's time to get all the different vendors who have contributed in creating this new category of products and they define the modern data stack and discuss about what makes it so special. So we are going to have people like Databricks, DBT and Fivetran, companies that they are implementing state-of-the-art technologies around their data stack like Hinge. And uh, we are also going to have uh, VCs and see what's their uh, own opinion about the modern data stack. So in sense, VC is going also to be there. And yeah, it's going to be super exciting and super interesting. So we invite everyone to our first uh, live streaming. Yeah, we're super excited. The date is December 15th. It's going to be at 4 p.m. Eastern time. And you can register at rudderstack.com slash live. So that's just rudderstack.com slash live, and we'll send you a link to watch the live stream. We can't wait to see you there. Welcome back to the Data Stack Show. Today, we're going to talk with Ayush Jain, and he is uh, one of the founders of a company called Cliff.ai. He's actually sort of a serial entrepreneur, has done a couple of startups, and this one's focused on what he calls a business observability platform. So I think it'll be a really interesting conversation. I don't know if we've come across that term yet on the show, have we, Costas? No, I don't think so. I think it's going to be a quite interesting conversation, especially talking about like how to operationalize data uh, and how the data warehouse, again, is like a very important component of how we extract value of data from the data. So yeah, and also he, they, he also leads a community. So I think it's also going to be mm. here. Yeah. What's the role of the community and like how it helps and all the stuff. Absolutely. And I think my question, and I'm going to go, I'm going to go way back here. So I used, you know, in looking at our guests' backgrounds, I'm always interested when someone's building something in the data space, but they don't come from a technical background. And Ayush actually comes from a scientific background. And I always find that connection really interesting. And I haven't asked that question in a long time. So I'm way overdue. So my question is going to be how his academic background has influenced you know, his work in data, which I know you're going to enjoy because you haven't gotten that in a while. I think you're going to force me to be philosophical again and claim that like science <laughs> is data, but... <laughs> science is data. Well said. We can just wrap the show up. Perfect. Yeah, let's go and chat with him. Let's do it. Ayush, welcome to the Data Stack Show. It's, uh, it's great to have you here. Thank you very much for having me. All right. Well, tell us about yourself. What's your background and what are you working on in your day job? Great. So just, just to give you a little bit of background about myself, I'm one of the co-founders of Clip.ai. And what Clip AI does is basically it's a business observability platform. We help companies 
track and monitor their matrix without the need of requiring a dashboard. And in terms of my background, I come from a very kind of different background. So I have my master's in biological sciences and we started, we started off, we are a team of three co-founders and we started our company. We started our first business together as soon as we got out of college. So we like, we used to live next to each other in dorm rooms for good five mm-hmm. years of college and just after that we thought guys we got to do something together with the, the doing doing a job was kind of uncool for us back then but so we kind of took a yeah. plunge into starting our own business without even without even without even knowing how to do a business how to run a business so we started an online pharmacy in india so this is way back in like 2016 where the internet the especially the online commerce was booming in India. And the, the question that we asked ourselves is in India at that point, you could get literally anything delivered to your doorstep by just ordering something on an app. The only thing that you would have to still go to a, you know, or to a shop and to go to a physical store and buy was medicines. So we thought, why don't we kind of build an application that would allow people to just put their prescription and get their medicines delivered at their doorstep. So that's the first business that we started together. Uh, We ran it for around eight months. A big company came in and said, we want to buy in the whole business. And we said, you know, fine, let's do that. So we sold that business. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so we we sold that business off. And then after that, kind of took that cash in and then said, you know, what do we do next? And for a first was for a short period of time we started exploring a few ideas that we could work on and then eventually we you know started our b2b SaaS business that's called green deck and what basically green deck was it was a online uh, you know price optimization engine for online retailers we would help Hmm. online fashion companies optimize their pricing using ai and one of the core component of the green deck platform was dealing with huge amount of data what so the way we would help our customers make their pricing better is by providing them a huge amount of data in terms of uh, how their products are priced with respect to their competitors and that's when that was my our first experience with dealing with data the huge amount of data so we would crawl hundreds and thousands of websites on a daily basis and collect the products and pricing information and help our customers make decisions and that's where we uh, we had our first kind of encounter with huge amount of data and then eventually sometime last year uh, around March last year we kind of pivoted from green deck to cliff.a and this pivot was basically from from the, the primary the thing that made us kind of excited about what we are doing here in clip.ai is we were dealing with a huge amount of dashboards the huge amount of dashboards to be able to monitor and uh, monitor and track various processes that were happening on green deck and it all started with one simple anomaly detection script we kind of wrote a script internally saying hey we have tons of matrix that we want to monitor as a part of the green deck platform and the 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 core problem was there no there were so many dashboards and we had we had a small team that we can't even look into all of those dashboards we kind of created an anomaly detection script that would just monitor those metrics and send a Slack notification whenever there is any anomaly in that metric. And that worked magic for us. And that's when we kind of got excited, this whole problem about dashboards and how various mm. businesses deal with dashboards. And eventually we pivoted into Clip.ai. Very cool. Well, I want to talk about dashboards, but first, yeah. I'd love to know, we love talking with guests who just have different diverse backgrounds. So yeah. biological, biological sciences, 
I'd yeah. love to know what lessons have you taken from that sort of academic background into yeah. being an entrepreneur and working with data? I think so one of the one of the core important things that I learned from coming from a science background was this whole the the whole in in terms of my understanding of the things I think so what I've learned the most is asking questions fundamentally I think so a lot of hmm. times when 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 we when we look at things from a business perspective we often kind of forget or often kind of stop asking the fundamental questions and science works on fundamentals i think so that's was my biggest thing that i kind of learned from the science background is asking fundamental questions and starting to think from the first principles i think so that is what is the biggest takeaway from from for, for me from the science background yeah i love it i love it that's um sure i mean in science you sort of start out with trying to remove a sort of influence from whatever you're trying to study. And it's hard to do that in business. So that's yeah. a really good lesson. And actually for anyone working with data, in fact, like that's a great, that's just a great reminder in general. So love hearing that. Yeah. Well, let's, so dashboards, you had all these dashboards, small team, you're trying to understand them. What yeah. I'd love to know, because you're building a company that helps people sort of avoid this or solve the problem of messy dashboards. But I'm interested in your perspective on how dashboards even get messy. And Costas would love to know yeah. as well from your perspective, because you've built companies and dealt with dashboards as well. But you would think, I mean, businesses vary a lot, the sort of basic business models and metrics and stuff. There's a lot of commonality across businesses, right? I mean, you have website traffic, you have some level of conversion, some of it's qualified, and then Someone pays you some money, <laughs> yeah. but everyone, I think, listening has experienced messy dashboards. So how do they get messy? So before, before I answer that question in terms of why and how dashboard gets messy, I think so. Uh, let me take a step back and kind of, kind of paint a picture in terms of how we got here and why we got here. So basically, if you look at what's happening in the data space in the past few years is an in undeniable rise of the modern data stack and people have different definitions around what constitutes as a modern data stack and it's still very kind of some people would argue that it's more of a marketing jargon jargon than something that is actually substantial but nonetheless the 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 undeniable trend is that the data warehouse has been becoming a heart of the modern data space, more modern data stack itself. And there has been an incredible amount of progress that has been made in terms of allowing businesses to be able to bring their mission critical data into a data warehouse. You have a rise of ETL tools, you have a rise of data quality tools, data quality monitoring tools. And what that means is that now the business have way more amount of data that they would have a few years back because the barrier to put the data into a data warehouse has significantly reduced. And what, what that means, what that means as a business is they have a huge amount of data and the up until a couple of couple of years back the only mode of consumption of this data had been warehouse there has been a tremendous progress made to bring the data into warehouse but the consumption of that data has been typically or even still today in the 90% cases it's consuming of that data into a dashboard now the 
the the thing that has changed in past few years is that dashboards the fundamental limitation of a dashboard is that a human consumes a dashboard so basically the the un, the underlying assumption of a dashboard is that there would be a human being that would be visually looking at a dashboard and making decisions now this thing has changed fundamentally in the few years the way it has changed is that the before before i answer the question why dashboard gets messy the 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 thing that has been happening is that dashboard since they fundamentally rely on a human being to consume them the thing that has happened with the with the growth of this data the scale at which people can consume this information of that data consume that data that has drastically reduced now what that means is basically as a business as you mentioned you have tons of kpis that can be visitors and then followed by users and then customers so on and so forth and right now what happens is most of the times you people put their their matrix into a dashboard expecting a human being to monitor them on a continuous basis and because of that what happens is uh, there are two things that happens either the since the mode of consumption of data for people is dashboards whenever people have questions someone would want to know why something broke or why something changed in the business the inherent bias is to go to the data team and say hey i want a dashboard and what that leads to be is sometimes answering these data question leads to a creation of a dashboard and these dashboards are in in a lot of cases what happens is these dashboards kind of used for a couple of times to get a couple of answer and then no one even looks at that hmm. now what what's happening because of that is this creation of this whole dashboard rot where every organizations have hundreds and thousands of dashboards that are probably only a fraction of them are actually used on a day on day basis so that 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 is one thing that is what 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 in my experience and in my learning with working with various data teams is that the data and engineering team has kind of an ownership of maintaining so many dashboards that are rarely used so that is one of the reasons what what i feel is that there is we we got into this messy situations where we have hundreds of dashboards which are rarely used and even the ones that are used they still rely on human beings to be able to take those decisions so that is what my understanding in in terms of how do we got into this messiness of dashboards yeah so i guess yeah i wanted to ask you i mean you described like the problem pack uh, pretty well and i think that anyone who has to work with data not even with data but i mean people that they are working in any organization inside the company at some point they had to face these issues but did you think that this is like an organizational problem or uh, a technical problem or an organizational problem that has a technical solution so what's your what's your perspective on that like uh, i i think yeah so i i think so it's it's i, I don't think so it's more of a technical problem i think it's more of a organizational behavioral problem where the way we deal with data has been through dashboards and reports so the natural bias whenever anyone has any question is to ask and request a dashboard so i think so it's more of an organizational issue it's more of a behavioral issue and more if, if even if i have to cover any technical aspect of it i think so the up until you know i'll i'll, I'll get to that point also later down the line but i think so the only way for people to get answers right now is dashboards and reports and i think so 
until unless we have things you know technology that kind of solves that part of the thing where people can ask questions without requiring dashboards i think so this is something that's going to stay okay so how we can do that how we can ask uh, questions without the dashboards so i think so now 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 this is this is a very interesting trend that has been you know that we have been noticing in in the past few months and that has been growing very rapidly is this whole idea of operationalizing the data into the data warehouse now this is something that is a very interesting concept that you know that 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 broadly covers few categories of the modern data stack so one of the most obvious thing that we have very recently seen a very good success in terms of the adoption from the both tech community and from a business perspective as well is this rise of reverse etl now so far what we have seen in the industry is you know people bringing in data into a data warehouse and then kind of writing ad hoc kind of you know scripts and report of kind of you know they some people would kind of you know do airflow dags and everything to kind of put this data back into those source systems now with this you know with recent rise of reverse etl you know there are a few companies that are kind of doing an amazing job when it comes to reverse etl you know companies like high touch and sensors where what what's now happening is the data that is required is now no longer sitting into a data warehouse this data this insights that are needs to be generated from this data where the data in the data warehouse is now being fed back into the source system so now imagine you know a sales guy you know using uh, hubspot or salesforce as a crm they instead of them going to a data team and saying you know hey show me you know i want this list of users who have done these these things so that you know i can target them and so on and so forth now what they are doing is they they have this information back into their operational systems which is uh, salesforce or hubspot now this is kind of a fundamental shift in terms of how do you think about data the data into the data warehouse is no longer is uh, is kind of no, is no longer a place where data goes and people would query it for reporting later on you are actually activating the data that is being put into a data warehouse and making making kind of business decisions on the top of that that's around the reverse etl space i think so uh, another interesting trend that has been happening is people you know using this data into a data warehouse and kind of building downstream applications from from this data warehouse so one of the big one, one of the one of the companies that i really admire in this space is this company called continual ai they they have been kind of you know helping people build machine learning models directly on the top of the data warehouse and this solves a very important problem in end to end delivery of machine learning models where previously what used to happen is people would kind of have bad jobs where they would train a model and then kind of use it into production and then they have to build that pipelines where they have to continuously fetch in the new data from source systems and then retrain their machine learning models and kind of have that end to end automated pipeline continual solve this problem by kind of directly put placing themselves on the top of the data warehouse and then kind of allowing people to build their machine learning models so that's a very you know smart thing that i've seen recently in terms of operationalizing the data warehouse and then in terms of the one of the you know in terms of the like operationalizing the data warehouse the one of the other things that i think so that is something that we are trying to deal you know kind of tackle with cliff.ai is 
how do we help companies actually generate insights from these data that is being captured into the data warehouse and actually make it actionable and that kind of is that that's what we are kind of doing here at clip.ai so one of the few things that we have heard with with our customers is that you know most of the time they would have so many APIs and metrics that they would want to keep a track on and they use dashboards to be able to do that and one of the fundamental problems that i just talked about you know when it comes to dashboard is dashboards are now being abused as a monitoring tool while they were not meant for that purpose and this is something that we want to solve using cliff ai is cliff ai we want to cliff we position cliff as a business observability platform it's a platform that sits on the top of the data warehouse and monitors every single metric that is in that data warehouse and let the relevant person in the team know whenever anything changes in those kpis and metrics and this is in a way is activating the data warehouse and allowing people to actually take business decisions and actually take actions on the top of their data so these are you know this is a ever growing this this is a rapidly growing field in terms of you know how do various businesses activate the data into the data warehouse and we i think so we are just kind of touching the tip of the iceberg as of now i think so there are a lot of innovative solutions that are kind of emerging in the whole modern data stack very recently that is kind of tackling this part of operationalizing the data into the data warehouse one of the categories that i kind of forgot to kind of mention here is this whole category of product load you know plg crms where you know companies kind of uh have kind of it's it's kind of a crm built for product led growth companies that is kind of tightly coupled with the data warehouse so there is a there is interesting so much interesting activity that is happening around you know what happens to the data data once it has reached the data warehouse that's very interesting i think you that's like many many important uh, topics quick question You yeah. mentioned like an, a very interesting term, which is the business observability platform that yeah. we are trying to build, and you are trying also like to move away from the traditional way, like uh, methodology of like consuming dashboards for that. So how does it work? I mean, you say there are KPIs; these KPIs getting tracked, and the right teams are getting notified when something changes. Mm-hmm. Describe to us with a little bit more detail, like the journey that your customer has on the product and how these things are defined, how they are consumed, how they are notified, and how they can react. Also, right, because reaction is also important. That's why we need data so we can act. Okay, so you know, so one of the key things that you know I I'm personally very fascinated about is. the whole concept of sre in the engineering domain right so if you look at what happened in the engineering domain in the past you know past decade is basically in engineering you have tons of applications and services and it it got you know at one point it got really difficult for business to kind of for any company to kind of stay on the top of their infrastructure without having an observability platform and you know they, companies like datadog and new relic did a incredible job in terms of providing the, you know those sre teams the right tools and the right platform so that they can stay on the top of their systems now typically you know if you look at the business side of the things before the advent of you know cloud data warehouses 
you know, the business processes, a lot of business processes were not that data driven. But now with the whole, you know, evolution of the modern data stack, each business process is also data driven. And now what has become, it has become really difficult for business teams to be able to keep track of their matrix without having a system that can actually help them the way Datadog has team helped with the SRE teams. So that is the whole you know, concept that we have when it comes to business observability is can Cliff become that system that allows business teams to stay on the top of their business processes? And the way the platform works is basically we sit on the top of the data warehouse. So the Cliff AI is basically, a, you know, it's a SaaS, uh, it's a SaaS offering where we plug in directly into a data warehouse and uh, we integrate with various data warehouses like Snowflake, Redshift, BigQuery, and so on and so forth. And the way integration works is basically, so let, let me just kind of walk you through the entire process. You plug in Cliff AI on the top of your data warehouse. We monitor every single metric that is there into a data warehouse in a completely automated manner. And there is no, you know, there is there are no rules that needs to be defined. There is no thresholds or there is no such kind of settings that needs to be defined. Every piece of data gets monitored automatically. So we typically deal with metrics. So we don't deal with like the raw data. We deal with the KPIs and metrics that are there into the data warehouse. And then once and whenever any significant changes happens in those metrics, so for example, if you see a sudden spike in your visitor, sudden dip in your conversion rates, what happens is, you know, we send notification via email or Slack or Teams integration to the relevant team member within an organization. And there is one interesting thing that we have learned from the engineering domain is in terms of one of the biggest challenges that we have also faced is how do we identify the right person within an organization that needs to be notified about some, some important KPI changes? So that's where we have kind of drawn our in, in, in inspiration from, from an engineering domain where the way engineering domain have this whole concept of incident response systems. You know, you have these tools like PagerDuty where if anything goes wrong, a PagerDuty incident is created and you have an escalation process in terms of who gets to be notified about what. That's something that we try to bring into the business domain. So for example, imagine this, you know, you have sudden, you know, drop in your conversion rate you define that, okay, you know, the first L1 escalation about that changes, about that that's drop in that conversion goes to XYZ person in the team. If they don't respond within a particular inter interval of time, the escalation goes to, you know, L L2 managers and so on and so forth. So defining that whole process of escalation in terms of who gets to be notified about what and at what time, that's also a very important part of this whole observability platform that we are building here at Cliff AI. One of the key things, one of the most important, you know, member of this whole, you know, journey that we try to bring in with the business observability is actually the data engineering teams itself. And what we do is basically data warehouse is a huge, huge kind of, uh, you know, kind of a space where, you know, there are so a lot of data that might be usable directly and that might not be usable. And that the core team that is responsible for ensuring that the right data, the right insights get delivered to the business are actually the data engineering team. So what, what we also have is as a part of our onboarding process for Cliff is we also integrate directly with DBT. So imagine that a business already having defined their key, their key matrix and key uh, KPIs that they want to track as a part of the DBT models. So what we do is we directly 
pull in all of those definitions from you know from from these from the dbt from from the dbt projects and have them monitored in an automated manner so that they don't have to redefine those kpis that they would want to ideally track into clip.ai so that is that is one thing that our customers finds incredibly useful when it comes to having this end to end process and having a system that kind of fits in really well with the ecosystem of product that they're already using mhm and you have said that like a new user doesn't have like to mess with like definitions and rules and mm-hmm. all that stuff so yeah. let's say i'm a company that i i, I don't have like my say kpis defined as dbt models what do i do then how are these kpis defined and consequently like of course like tracked right Yes so there are two things here so let's assume a scenario where a company does not have already have their core kpis defined you know in right now so what what would happen in that case is whenever we connect to a data warehouse what we also do is we have an inbuilt sql editor as a part of the platform where people can just define their queries right within the clipfy platform and those queries get executed into the data warehouse and those metrics are collected and monitored into clip platform what we have also seen and this this is something that is kind of a new evolution that is happening in the whole modern data stack is there is now a rise of an intermittent or kind of intermediate matrix layer where what people are doing is you know the this is this is kind of you know the looker has done it really well so looker has this functionality of which is what they call as look ml where they have kind of made it really easy for businesses to define and manage their kpis in a very declarative manner and what we are seeing recently in the in the industry right now is the rise of a independent matrix layer which is kind of right now defining the matrix and kind of maintaining those matrix as a function used to live with the bi tools right you know you would typically define your matrix and dimensions in a bi tool now with this you know rise of matrix layer there is a new paradigm that is change that has been happening is you have a dedicated space and you have a dedicated platform to be able to define and govern your all the kpis and matrix into one singular place so we have a very limited and a very kind of kind of a basic version of that matrix layer within the cliff platform itself where people can define and manage their matrix in one single place oh wow and is this like do yeah. you have some kind of like uh, declarative language that is used for this definition or is no. just sql right now how no it... as of now it's it's just sql so what what we believe is that you know introducing a new language wouldn't kind of solve any purpose for us and i think so as sql is the kind of language you know is is kind of the 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 most commonly used language for for the data engineer so the, the our goal is to fit in the existing workflow as smoothly as we can so that's why it's a plain simple sql editor that can be used to define queries yeah makes sense so are the dashboards dead So, no so the, the the you know the the non marketing answer to that is no dashboards are not dead you know i think so dashboards serves their own purpose you know dashboards are good for you know the dashboards are still a good tool for reporting but i think so what what dashboards are dead for is the the is are are, are dead for kind of you know the use cases 
where you need to have a continuous monitoring of something so dashboards are dead for for all, all those use cases where you need to have a human being constantly monitoring them for any kind of insights i think so that is something dashboards are definitely dead for yeah i don't know eric i have a feeling that like the highest level of escalation of a tool like this is probably going to be the board of directors and i know don't know if this is like a very good idea what do you think <laughs> <laughs> it's a good question. You one, you know, one question I have, Ayush, and this maybe this is sort of jumping back to specifics, but when you think about continuous monitoring and becoming you basically being served a notification, mm-hmm. that's really talking about anomalies, right? Yep. Things that are important enough to need someone to look at it. Uh, because yeah. there's been some sort of change. And yeah. when you think about, and I'm, I'm going to oversimplify this, but let's, you sort of have two classes of anomaly, right? So mm-hmm. one where a metric is changing significantly because of some sort of business activity. So yeah. marketing runs a campaign, you get on the first page of Hacker News, you know, yeah. you're or, you know, so that's sort of positive or, you know, negative stuff, right? Like AD, AWS servers go down, you know, so yeah. user activity, you know, falls off or whatever. Yeah. So the first class is like something's happening with, with the business that's sort of a fundamental lift or decline. The yeah. other one is changes in data, right? Mm-hmm. A definition changes, the name of an event changes, those sorts of things. How do you think about classifying those? And you, you mentioned this a little bit before saying, how do you get the notification to the right person in the organization? But it's interesting because numbers can go up or down either because the business itself is yeah. changing or because the business really is, there isn't an anomaly in the business. There's actually just a change in the data that creates an anomaly yeah. in the metric. Yeah, no, I, and that, that's, a, that's a great question, Eric. And I think so, the, you know, the way you have classified them into two kind of problems where those anomalies are actual business anomalies or versus those are those data anomalies, right? And I think so, This both of those pieces are very critical component to have and build an end-to-end observability. And I think so, we have recently seen a rise of a lot of data quality monitoring tools that are kind of tackling this, you know, this whole problem of the data quality. And, yeah. you know, you know, you know, and they're, they're, they're kind of, you know, doing an amazing job in doing, in doing that, right? You know, in terms of ensuring that whatever data that gets put into a data warehouse, is that a quality data? And I think so, uh, we have kind of very consciously kept our focus in terms of, you know, monitoring the business anomalies rather than the data quality issues per se. And yeah. I think so, when, when we talk about, you know, the business observability platform, you know, monitoring metrics for anomalies is just one part of it, right? Because when you monitor something, you know, if, if, you're, if it is all about anomaly detection, it would it's better to call it a monitoring platform rather than a, an observability platform. And I think so what mm. makes something uh, observability tool rather than a monitoring tool 
is not only telling something that something went wrong, but also to assist in terms of identifying why it went wrong. So the second part is equally important in terms of why something went wrong. Hmm. And I think so, you know, if you look at from a business context, right? So if you see that there is a sudden spike in, you know, let's say the number of visitors, the very first question that any business team would ask is why? Why is this happening? Is it because of, you know, is it because of some campaigns that the marketing team is doing? Or, sure. is, you know, is it is it a, because of certain other parameters? So that's where we come to the second part of the observability platform is answering these questions. Why? And within the Cliff platform, what we have also built is a very smart root cause analysis tool. What it does is basically, if you have, let imagine, let's say you have a matrix and you have a certain set of dimensions associated with that matrix. So what Cliff platform does is basically it does an automated root cause analysis to be able to identify what were the key hmm. segments that contributed to that spike statistically you know what are those statistically significant factors that contributed to that spike so in that way what we're trying to do is we are trying to do and try to complete an end loop around observability where you not only know what went wrong but you also get an idea of why it went wrong and the obvious you know the, there is an underlying hypothesis is the business have the right dimensions or right dimensions associated with that particular matrix do they have the right dimensions that that would assist them into the helping that root cause analysis as a part of the data warehouse so that's that's a key mm. assumption that we have yeah super interesting and this may yeah. be a, a funny question but i'm interested in, i'm just thinking about you know all the listeners in our audience who have worked on the underlying data layer that drives metrics i mean we're all familiar with that how many, and let's just define metric as sort of a single number, yeah. you know, that represents some part of the business. How many metrics are your customers tracking? I mean, is it 10? Is it a hundred, a thousand? Because I think we all yeah. sort of, you know, when you work inside of a business, sometimes you, you know, it's, it's like, wow, do we, are we tracking a lot of stuff or are we not tracking a lot of stuff? So can you provide yeah. some perspective on that since you see it every day? Yeah, so that's actually a great question. So I think so, you know, I would just kind of, you know, have a clear demarcation here in terms of what a KPI and a what a metric would mean. So basically, mm. what might happen is business might have a, a limited set of KPIs that they would want to monitor, but the number of metrics that can arrive that can occur because of the combination of dimensions can grow exponentially. So let me give you an example. So for example, the number of visitors coming to the website. So that's just one KPI. But this particular KPI can have hundreds and thousands of metrics of so what that would be number of visitors coming from Google, number of com visitors coming from Facebook. And each of those metrics can have a significant impact on the business. And what, what business try to do is they would not want to have just a monitoring on the top level KPI, like how many visitors are coming on the website, but also how many visitors are coming from, let's say, the social medias or from, let's say, organic search and so on and so forth. So the number of metrics can grow exponentially depending on the size of business. Typically, you know, one of our, you know, we, one of our biggest customer is a telco company. And in, in that telco business, you know, I think so at this point, they're monitoring, I think so, you know, a broad number for, for that would be they're monitoring roughly around 200,000 KPIs, not KPIs, the matrix in a, in a near real time manner. So it can grow wow. as, yes. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. And as, as kind of a follow on to that, so 
It's really interesting to think about the one of our previous or our recent guests used the term data value chain, right? So we think yeah. about, you know, you have collection of the data, you are sending it to places, whether that's to different tools in your stack, you know, you unify it in the warehouse. Ideally, there's a metrics layer. Ideally, I agree with you. I think the metrics layer is, is the way that things are moving in the future. I mean, it's super cool yeah. what you can do with tools like DBT and sort of all of that. Then you are building dashboards for certain things. Then you're sending and operationalizing that data and, you know, ideally observing, you know, sort of doing business observability. <laughs> where, as those things change, where does the data engineer sort of fit into the data value chain in the context of having sort of data quality type automation, you know, with tools, say like Big Eye? Or Monte Carlo, you know, with business observability tools like yours, what are you seeing? Is that is are these tools and sort of the changing data value chain around this modern stack? Is that is that sort of repositioning teams and data engineers in terms of where they fit? So actually, that's a that's a very interesting question, and I think so. What you know, I I was recent recently reading an article, and what the 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 author you know kind of gave a very kind of very apt. Uh, summary of what's happening in the data space is previously you know there used to be in separate roles within the organization called data platforms where you know you would have a combination of you know engineers and the data guys who are kind of owning and building the data platforms within the company and with this whole rise of the modern data second with the size of whole you know tools and you know that are kind of emerging in various aspect of the modern data stack what what's happening is that the role of a data engineering becomes more prominent in a sense that with this you know with all of these tools monte carlo data cliff ai big 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 eye data the data platform aspect has been taken by the third party vendors whereas the core delivering the data value chain or the tying of this data value chain still remains with the data engineers so previously you know initially the data engineers would be the one who would be writing the etl pipelines to pull in the data from one place and putting into a data warehouse but now their role has become way more significant in the entire value chain right from the generation of the data to the consumption of mm. the data and this is you know i think so with with the advent of dbt i think so roles like data you know analytics engineer you know these these were the roles that were not even heard of you know a couple of years back but this has become like a mainstream titles in terms of the you know titles like analytics engineer so data engineering analytics engineering is something that is just growing day on day i use i have a question you you use the term business observability platform right and okay the most common observable let, let's say observability started from the need like to observe our infrastructure then recently we are also have started talking about like data observability where we have like other tools that are trying like to mimic what an observability platform does but like for data infrastructure specifically and now you are like taking this on a level higher which is like the business observability platform now yeah. In each one of these cases, usually we have like a very specific role that is related to operations that is interested in using is the user of these tools, right? Like we have the SREs yeah. that they are using data build, for example. Who is using the business observable? Like who is the equivalent of an SRE, but for a business, let's say? 
Yes, so that, that's, a, that's a good question. So I think so for us, the, the end consumer of the business observability platforms are typically the operations team. So now this operations team is also a very broad term. So it can span across, you know, revenue ops, marketing ops, or, you know, sales ops, or even in, in a lot of cases, actually the operations, you know, the physical operations of a company. So for us, the typically the audience are the teams that, works with the operations team you know in one case we have a revenue operations team that is you know monitoring various kpis related to finance using cliff.ai so typically for us the audience are the operations teams the teams that are most impacted whenever any numbers changes in their matrix so for, for us, the audience are the operations teams, but the enabler of the platforms are the engineering teams. You know, the the finance operations teams, uh, you know, we, we don't expect our finance operations teams to kind of connect Cliff to their data warehouse and actually write those queries and get those numbers that they want. So typically for us, the enablers are the, the analytics and the engineering teams. The consumers are the operations team. Great. One last question from me, and then I'll give the stage back to Eric. I know that you are also actively like creating a community. So I'd like to ask you, and it, this is something that we have seen happening a lot lately, especially with products that are really have to do like with data. I think uh, everyone saw like the success of DBT and the DBT community. Okay, of course, like communities are not something new, like open source communities exist for like since forever. Based on your experience, how important is a community around the, the, the data products and how they relate together? Or is it just like a marketing tool at the end? Like, how do you see the community? What's the position of the community as part of like your, the business value that your company at the end, right? Like delivers. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think so that, that, that this is something that I, I have a slightly different opinion, probably, you know, would, would be very contradictory with what, what pe- opinion that pe- other people would have is, you know, I think so if we start a community with intention of getting a business value in return, I think so we defeat the whole purpose of the community itself. And, you know, we started this modern data stack.xyz community with the whole purpose of you know, finding a place where people interested in the modern data stack can come together and create a resource that can help anyone to learn about the modern data stack. And in terms of the value that is there in the community, I think so for us, the modern data stack community that we have built is more about just interacting with the like-minded individuals about what's happening in the modern data stack. Because the modern data stack is kind of, changing every single day you know there is something new coming up there's something you know in you know the the categories there the entire categories are getting created in the modern data stack very very you know very quickly and that's one of the that's the only reason we wanted to create this community to just bring in like-minded people together in terms of speaking about the value of the community i think so the biggest value of a community is having an audience or having a kind of pe- a, a kind of a set of people connected with you where you can share these ideas because one of the key things that is happening in the whole modern data stack uh, is 
the emergence of the new ideas you know you know people haven't heard of reverse etl you know up until a few years back people haven't heard of plg crns people haven't heard of business observability and having a community the biggest value of having a community is having a connection with the like minded individuals with whom you can share this whole idea you know no matter how much crazy it sounds you you share that idea with those set of people and you kind of get a feedback on that those ideas and from a from a value from a, another value perspective is you know we found our first set of customers you know first set of customers from this community itself you know we would share these the ideas share the you know the 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 things that we are working on as clever.ai and we would get the feedback from that community so i think so that is the the value chain value that you get from the community and we we have been very conscious that we always wanted to create an open community we don't want this to be a community by clip.ai you know even if you look at the modern data stack.xyz website you know we have a very very small footer at the bottom which says you know run by the team at the clip clip ai and one 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 of you know one of the one of my close friends you know who has been pioneer in building an ab testing platform you know this is one thing that i learned from them is you know when when they were building a community they would rarely talk about the product their you know their their offerings you know they would just talk about ab testing and they kind of became kind of a go to uh, go to place for anyone to learn about you know ab testing and eventually that helped the business itself so from from my perspective the the you know the community is is kind of a long term game and the goal here is to just bring the like minded individual together not from any specific business goal perspective <laughs> really great perspective there ayush i i agree i think building a community that provides true value around uh subject matter without commercializing it really takes commitment over a long period of time you know it's not necessarily something it, it can it helps create context for the business problem you know the, the company that you're building but really appreciate that perspective we're close to time here but i have one one more question for you so you get to see anomalies in data all the time from customers who are using cliff cliff.ai what are some of the most interesting anomalies that you've seen that just sort of surprised both your customers and you okay so i think so i i i remember this case where you know and, and it's actually it's not not very surprising but it was very kind of impactful was one you know there, there's a customer who was who were monitoring their marketing ad spend with respect to .ai and one day they saw a sudden spike in their ad budgets you know they had set up some you know in in the google ads they have set up set up the daily limits but it was that that limit was set to be kind of decently high and what happened was you know there was one footballer who kind of mentioned a term that is that is what one of the target keywords and what they saw is they they had a sudden spike in their ad spend and that was coming from a completely irrelevant audience and they saw a spike and they kind of turned on their bidding on that particular keyword for the specific duration of time Gosh, so that that, that so was weird. a very interesting yeah yeah but i i mean really useful to like be able to catch that pretty quickly Wow, that is so funny. Amazing how, you know, someone with a huge following just mentioning something can impact, you know, a company's ad budget. And you know, and 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 they 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 were a B2B SaaS company that has nothing to do with, you know, what that footballer mentioned. Yeah, that's hilarious. 
Do you yeah. remember what team the footballer played on? You know, I I I I can I I can very uh, vaguely remember who was that footballer, but I think so. It was someone from Chelsea. Ah, okay, Chelsea. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hilarious. Well, Aish, this has been a really fun show. Thanks for joining us and uh, best of luck with Cliff.ia. Thank you. Thank you very much, Eric. Thank you for having me. Really interesting conversation. One thing that I uh, really appreciated, and it's one of those things where you kind of know it in the back of your head, but since you're experiencing it every day, you don't really think about it, but it is pretty wild the number of ad hoc analyses that are created and require a lot of work and then are basically thrown away. I mean, Google Sheets for every company must be a massive graveyard of ad hoc, you know, ad hoc analyses, you know, and, and in some ways you have, uh, you know, saved queries on the warehouse that are similar and thinking about the paradigm shift to sort of monitoring or observability in the context of your stable metrics and KPIs is, is really interesting. So yeah, it made me think about how many Google sheets I have in my drive that, you know, are old stale ad hoc analyses that were really useful for 15 minutes. And then I've never looked at it again. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think everyone can relate to that. And I think anyone that comes from a BI background, they can definitely feel the pain of what it means like to maintain all the different like dashboards that the company has. I think it's much more evident early on in the life of a company because there's no clear ownership uh, of the BI process. Like everyone is like a BI analyst in a way. And I think it's a problem that BI tools have struggled like to figure out the solution for like forever. And I don't think that they have managed to do it like efficiently, to be honest, mainly because it's just like technological problem. It's also an organizational problem. But that hoc analysis is like very important. That's for sure. Like we always need like to ask ad hoc questions. So of course we have to do that like also with our data. Now, how we manage all this garbage that's created from there, that's, yeah, something that <laughs> we discussed this today with Ayush. I think there are two things that I found like really interesting in our conversation. One is uh, the fact that this space of operationalizing data becomes richer and richer. If I remember like, okay, like our audience probably is already familiar with reverse ETL, but that's like only one manifestation of how to operationalize your data. We had another guest who, the CEO of Airbyte mentioning that machine learning models are also operationalization of data, right? Mm -hmm. Which is a very valid point. And I used today mentioned continual AI, for example, which is exactly that. And of course, like all the like Tecton and all the different uh, feature stores at the end. That's exactly what they are doing. And now we have business observability, which is another way to operationalize like the data. That's, that's very interesting. And I'm really looking forward to see what else will come up. And the other thing is that how big of an impact the SRE discipline and the operations, the engineering operations discipline has outside of just like managing just, I mean, managing the infrastructure, the, the, the IT infrastructure of the company. Yep. We see that like getting repeated in data. Uh, and now we see it also like on business where we have like the, these teams of like rev ops, marketing ops, sales ops, and all these different like roles that they arise. 
And of course, like all that stuff like is built on the availability and accessibility of data today. So yeah, that's, this, this was like a very, very interesting conversation. And I'm very curious to see how this business observability category is going to evolve. I agree. Well, thanks again for joining us on the DataStack Show, and we will catch you on the next episode. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the DataStack Show. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app to get notified about new episodes every week. We'd also love your feedback. You can email me, Eric Dodds, at eric at datastackshow.com. That's E-R-I-C at datastackshow.com. The show is brought to you by Rudderstack, the CDP for developers. Learn how to build a CDP on your data warehouse at rudderstack.com.